episode 33 of the MG Conflicts cast. My name is Steven. I'm joined by my co-hosts, John. Hey. And Chris. Hey. And today's episode will be the first in a two-part series. We will be talking about name a card effects in Magic and how to play with and against them. But first, let's kick things off with our weekly roundup where we tell you what decks you piloted and what decks you played against. Chris, let's start with you. So, I don't know if we talked about it on cast or not last week, but... We didn't. Um, v and John decided that we should, as uh, inspired by the good old SCG boys, um, do a F&M bingo. So, I made a bingo sheet for John, and John made a bingo sheet for me, and... Um, Spoiler alert, nobody won bingo. <laughs> Some say nobody won anything at all. <laughs> yeah, so I was playing the uh, Sahili Cat deck that I had mentioned last week, and John made me this very sweet uh, bingo sheet. I was four out of five on two different directions, but I couldn't get there because one of them, John gave me a literally impossible <laughs> square. It says, rally back an Ewit for a land. You cannot rally back an Eternal Witness. It is not a two or less CMC card. Whoops. So, thanks, John. (laughs) I thought you did it when we played over the weekend, but I misremembered. John trying to make me cheat. Didn't even bother to look at the cards. I was like, yeah, he did that. (laughs) Um, The other square that I was unable to get, which would have gotten me a bingo, was opponent gives you a free voice token. Which is, you know, a fair, fair enough square. I do that almost every time I play against Voice of Resurgence. Every single time. I just forget. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm going to remain that. And they're like, hey, make a token. I'm like, oh. oh. Mine, mine right. is more calculated than that, but yeah. But but this this, this bingo <laughs> thing was kind of tilting in, in many ways because I wasn't able to get my opponent to give me a free voice token, but I did deal lethal damage with the Mysahili Plus, which was a square. <laughs> um... Someone did mention Saffron Olive, which was a square. Ah! <laughs> um, the first round, I didn't actually make infinite cats, but I made infinite sun titans, but that was not a square, so I didn't get to check God. off make infinite cats. Um, I did get to check off Teague destroy someone, but not because it necessarily did anything, but it did attack for lethal damage, so that counts as destroying to me, I don't know. Send them straight to the Shadow Realm. My Gaddock Teague attacks were probably 8 to 10 damage that game. That was not within the spirit of the square, but within the letter of the square. <laughs> um, <laughs> although, maybe you want to tell this part of the story, uh, John, the, the regret bringing this deck square. Ah, yes, yes. I, uh, I finished my roundup a, a fair bit quicker than Chris. And um, I walk over and I watch him uh, against a very grindy, uh, kind of green-white-esque, vaguely pseudo-mirror where there's like six voice of resurgences on the battlefield at the same time. And he, uh, I don't know if it's the same game or the same match, but he casts a uh, Oath of Nyssa, looks at like Birds of Paradise, Birds of Paradise, Fetchland, I believe. Oh, yeah. Sadly, kind of just stares at the three for a bit takes the birds of paradise and in the same motion as he sets the card down on top of his hand kind of like leans over to his bingo sheet and ticks off the regret playing this deck square (laughs) 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 so i saw the moment that his spirit broke (laughs) this was round one by the way (laughs) 
I thought it'd be sweet, you know, oh, I could rebuy these voices, I can rebuy Oath of Nyssa, and then I realized that no matter how many times I flickered Oath of Nyssa or brought it back from the graveyard, I just didn't have good cards in my deck to find with my Oath of Nyssa. (laughs) Everyone was like, triple fetch line, oh, terrific. (laughs) Or like, oh, a Saheeli when I already have three Saheelis, like, yeah, this this card doesn't do anything. Just what I needed. Although, I will say that Lotus Cobra, the true MVP, um, I think last week John scoffed at me when I said Lotus Cobra would help with my Blood Moon situation. Lotus Cobra let me win two games I would have otherwise lost to Blood Moon. (laughs) I had a game where I was able to cast my Saheeli Rai off of my Oath of Nyssa. Eh. 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 And then with my one basic forest... I was able to play a Lotus Cobra, copy my Lotus Cobra with my Sahili, play a land, get two landfall triggers for double green, and then evolution one into the cat to kill my opponent. Most excellent. Solid. That's that's what we call value in the business. So, value town. <laughs> so I have the deck on Cogatrice, and I think the, the name of the deck I have on Cogatrice is um, Snake Cat. For Apple just Dave. such a reason. Ah, yes. Uh, so how about you, John? What did you what did you end up playing? I ended up playing the Jeskai Pyromancer deck featuring four copies of Stoke the Flame. Uh, Stoke the Flames, I should say. There, are pl- there's a plurality of flames uh, present in this card. Many uh, Stokes, and I I did cast many Stokes, many Stokes for many folks uh, over the course of the evening. Uh, my free square in the center of my bingo sheet was someone picks up and reads Stoke the Flames, which. I believe I ticked off the first time I cast the card in game one of round one. <laughs> Speaking of free squares, my free square was Oath of Nyssa Bricks. <laughs> now, it was a little unclear if it was, was it a spiritual brick? Like, was Bird Bird Fetchland a brick? Or did it have to be actual factual, I can't take any of these cards? Because that seems to happen to me a lot. Historically speaking, you have been quite good at actual factual brick off of Oath of Nyssa. I figured it was a reasonable free space. I mean, I can still somehow find ways to actual factual brick off of ancient stirrings, but... Anyway. I didn't get my free square. It wasn't free for me. (laughs) I do feel bad, but every previous time you've played the card, you have bricked multiple times during the event, so I thought it was pretty free, but, uh... I think uh, I think statistically speaking, it's actually not not very likely in this deck. But uh, anyways, um, I um, I ended up going three and one. Uh, I lost to um, Cord of Callingless Naya Cord Kiki Cord. My opponent did not see any cords the whole match. I did not realize he was playing cords in his deck until someone told me that they had played against Kiki Cord in a later round and pointed at my previous opponent, and I was quite confused <laughs> Kiki cordless yes uh, I did uh, I did get Kikied. Uh he drew his singleton copy of Kiki and killed me with it when I was tapped out and uh, I think it was game one when I was certainly not expecting to get Kiki comboed so that uh, I felt real bad I had that game pretty locked up otherwise I feel like um, and then he did not not Kiki me in either of the next two games so, uh, yeah, played against uh, Cordless Kiki Cord, and I also uh, managed to defeat Burning Inquiryless Burning Inquiryless uh, Hollow One. 
Shocker. Turns out when they don't have their best card the entire match, uh, you can defeat them quite handily. <laughs> Great. Yeah. But yeah, it was fun. Uh, Start the Flames was pretty sweet. Um, got to, you know, convoke it off of some Pyromancer tokens. Um, I got to uh, sell all the wreckage uh, away seven Lingering Souls in one go, which felt hey. real nice. <laughs> My opponent had two or three lands to go get. I think that was it. So that was uh, that was good times. So that was also against Hollow One. So I was, uh, I was quite pleased with, with that outcome. Uh, how about you, Steven? Uh, what, was, uh, what was your week like? So I didn't get to play too much Magic, um, but the Magic I did get to play was in standard Blue, White, and Balm, the deck that I've been playing with for the past like year and a half. Um, it uh, kind of fell on its face this week pretty hard, uh, but also I just realized how much I don't enjoy playing the deck anymore. It's just uh, like, oh look, I have this enchantment. Do you have removal for it? No? Okay, I'm going to win. I'm going to make this game stall out until turn 50 by gaining 50 life. Okay. So it's it's uh, it's grown old on you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm uh, going to trash it. Probably make like monogreen something. Oh standard. yeah, monogreen. Monogreen. Um, some elfie boys. Some elfie, elfie, One drop, elfie, three drop. Elfie dinosaur boys. Oh god. Thrashing um, brontodons in your future. No, what's the what's the big guy? What's the big guy? The 10, oh, the 12, 12. No, 12, 12? Yeah, Galta Primal Hunter. Primal Hunter. Hunter? Yeah, um, that guy. A card feels um, like a uh, a Hearthstone card. <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I also got to play test some uh, Magic Online with my bad Amulet deck versus a Bring to Light Valakut deck. Um. I got pooped on a lot, but it was mostly because I didn't have the right mana base. Uh, were times where I was like taking damage off of Yevamaya Coast, where I definitely shouldn't have been taking damage off of Yevamaya Coast. Um, and you just play some Trilands. Yeah, it might as well at this point. <laughs> uh, and. <laughs> Seems not correct. Chris. Disappointment. <laughs> Disappointing Chris with every word that comes out of my mouth. Uh, and then I also don't have a, a Cavern of Souls in the deck, so I couldn't resolve my big dudes past their, their cryptic commands and remands, which is very unfortunate. Needs to say I lost most of those games. Uh, the one game that I did one when it was just like amulet turn one, go, go nuts crazy uh, with lands. Uh, beat you down, put a prime time in on into play on turn two. Turn so you're two, saying you kill. you won when you nutted on them, and when you had to play real magic, you got crushed. Yeah, basically, <laughs> because I didn't have real magic cards apparently. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to cast real magic cards without real lands. Yeah. So, was there any uh, any decks or content that you guys saw over, uh, over the past week that spiked your piqued your interest? Um, so I saw this uh, Jeskai list with two Teferis instead of Jace the Mind Sculptors. <clears throat> and the, I guess the question is like, oh, is Teferi better than Jace? And I think yes. it's very well maybe. Um, I think Jace, like, at least I think I'm probably eating my words here because I think I was uh, more hyped for Jace when it was first unbanned than, uh, say, John over here. But <clears throat> yeah, Jace has just been not impressive in modern, right? It's 
He just hasn't really shown up and put up the results. But this fairy guy, I mean, yeah, he he bounces stuff like the Jace, but he bounces stuff like what three deep in their deck. Like it's gone for a little while. Yeah, man. He tucks them in. Being able to just like you know unconditionally draw a card <laughs> with a plus, and then you get so you get to like tap out for it and then hold up a two mana counter spell like a logic knot or something. Yeah, it seems pretty good. All of his abilities are card advantage. Yeah, Jace is only card advantage like when you brainstorm because yeah. when you bounce the card goes back to their hand but Teferi tucks so they have to draw it again Teferi one spicy boy although the the tuck is what a minus three and he comes with four so that's a little bit brutal but <laughs> risky business but you know if you want something gone it, and it's like any permanent right or is it non-land permanent? non-land I, I believe non -land yeah. but so he gets rid of these pesky you know like enchantments or other planeswalkers right just Oh, you have a Jay's whoop? Also, bye -bye. ultimate's just, like, super scary, right? Yeah. Like, if you ever let your opponent get to ferry that high, you're probably just going to lose at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> GG. See ya, nerd. What about you, John? <laughs> uh, I saw a deck. So, I was mocked last week when I presented my selection of decks, and they're like, oh, where's the Avid of Carol Keeps? <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I found while well, digging through the uh, the five out lists, someone else has a uh, a love for uh, good old Avid of Carol Keep. Uh, Acela played their black red aggro. It's not quite burn uh, uh, aggro deck to a five o uh, I mean, competitive modern league finish. Lava spikes in it. You're an <laughs> aggro deck. Yeah, you're definitely aggro. Not that they're quite burn, but they are definitely aggro. Uh, but they were playing uh, some uh, Placet of Death Shadows, Goblin Guides, Swiss Spears, Abbots, three Bobs, and four Street Race. Uh, some Lava Spikes, Bolts, full grip of Mutagenic Groves, a Singleton Thoughtseize, <laughs> and four Claim to Fames. Uh, so this deck is just like a really aggro creature deck with Claim to Fame. Um, it kind of feels like a uh, like a Grixis Shadow that's had the like blue and the Delve Threat stripped out and then like... Um, more aggressive threats subbed in you just take out the delve creatures and put in goblin guides <laughs> yeah man just you know gas 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 gotta go fast um claim the fame like it's, it's got some grind of claim to fame and the uh the bobs and the abbots right like this isn't just mm -hmm. a game that uh, or a deck that like um just you know poops out some one drops and then kills you it's actually got like the ability to grind a little bit uh, and the sideboard is um, pretty focused on kind of uh, becoming a little bit more of a mid-range controlling deck with four Fatal Push, four Inquisitions, four Relic of Progenitus, and three Molten Reigns. Uh, the deck seems pretty sweet. Uh, I'm definitely tempted to bring this to like an FNM or something um, and, and try it out. Uh, I don't think it's the best deck in the world. I'm sure they probably got a little lucky to 5-0. Um, but it's a super proactive, aggressive deck that has the ability to grind a bit, and it's got some uh, serious disruption on the sideboard. I kind of like it. I think you just like it because it has Abbott in it. I mean, I like aggressive black red decks, and yeah, Abbott of Carol Keep is like my homie. <laughs> is, this, is this what we need to do to make Abbott playable? Have four mutant girls in our deck? It's yes. so it's so bad without probe and bobble. When you had eight free cards in your deck, it was pretty sweet because you could just play it on turn two and hit pretty often. Like wow. just get a free card on on turn two, which is um really solid. It's like a elvish visionary with, with prowess almost at that point. <laughs> Abbott, real good card. 
Not Who not, thought? not really. It's, actually, it's not very good anymore. Getaxian Probe anymore. Getaxian Probe getting banned really uh, took that one down a peg. Used to be a really good card. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah, really good. Near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Moving on from our um, weekly roundup, though, we've got a uh, special topic for this week. Uh, first in a two-part series, um, we are going to be focusing on uh, name of card effects. Uh, specifically today, Meddling Mage. Um, Meddling Mage is a pretty interesting and uh, complex card that is seeing play in arguably the format's best deck right now, uh, Humans. Uh, and it's a pretty core card in the deck. Um, being able to shut off your um, opponent's answers and interaction really lets the deck uh, kind of overwhelm the board and uh, steal the game. So... <sighs> Meddling Mage is a, is a very interesting card, right? Um, I think we kind of mentioned in the past that nobody really played it. Um, I mean, there was like these, what, fringe, blue-white D&T lists that played a few, and the, the card just didn't have a home. It just didn't seem very impressive in the past. Like, you, what, would play it, name removal spell, and then they just play a big creature and kill you anyway because it was just a measly 2-mana two 2-2. Two -two. But now, with all the human support, the cards actually found a, a very strong home indeed. And there's a lot going on with this card. Um, it's kind of like... It has a very high ceiling and a pretty low floor as well, right? If you yeah, name a, a card <laughs> that just misses or just isn't relevant, you just have a 2-mana two 2-2, two -two, which is pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, we're we're playing in a format where Tarmogoyf isn't even like that strong anymore, right? So... Harder to cast, bear. Yeah, two man two is much, much, much worse. For reference, uh, for those of you who don't know, who have lived under uh, under a rock with no modern in it, uh, meddling mage is a white and blue uh, two mana creature. It's a two two. As it enters the battlefield, you choose a non you choose a non land card. Uh, spells can't be cast with that card name. By either player. By either, yeah. Symmetrical. Which, Which makes the mirror even more bizarre than it already was. But um, Cursed mirror. <laughs> uh, one thing to know about Meddling Mage is that it's a as-it-enters effect. So it's not an enter-the-battlefield trigger. So once the Meddling Rage has resolved, the card has already been named. Very relevant mm. off Aether Vial. Yeah, so with Aether Vial, if you activate Aether Vial and your opponent lets you resolve the Aether Vial um, activation, the Melee Mage is just in play now. And the card has already been named. There's no opportunity for them to, to interact at any point during... before the Melee Mage is actually in play by the time they know it's a Melee Mage coming in off that Vial. Yep. So if your opponent names Lightning Bolt and you have a Lightning Bolt in hand, there is no chance for you to bolt that Melee Mage. <laughs> yeah. So, Melee Mage is a very uh, difficult card to play because there's many different, like, the correct name is changing as the game is being played. Um, against some decks, I suppose the, the correct name is always the same card. Like, say, against Storm, right? Um, you just name, like, Grape Shot. You know, just name their win con. And the 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 scenarios where you're playing against Storm and you're not naming Grape Shot with just your single single mage are pretty low. Yeah, it's gotta be 
I don't even know what kind of French scenario you'd be in where you <laughs> like the only time where you shot. might name something else with your first uh, melee mage is if you've seen their hand with your your kite your kite sail freebooter and you um, know they have like maybe a gift sun given so you, maybe you took like a metamorphos with their with your freebooter and now you're just gonna name their um, gift sun given so it's really hard for them to to find find a way out. The uh, another another scenario that can come up too is. Um, for say if they have two of an of a sweeper effect or something right and then perhaps you actually take a different a, a different card altogether with the uh freebooter and then name that sweeper effect with the meddling mage yeah so it brings to the first um kind of point is so you say you've seen their hand and how often do you name a card that isn't one of the cards that you already know is in their hand Right, because if you, if you know the contents of their hand and you name something that's there, it's guaranteed to have an impact to some degree, right? It's guaranteed to prevent them from playing at least one one card in their hand. But there's definitely going to be times where the cards in their hand either just aren't relevant or there's something that's much, much, much worse for you. Like, say, their hand is a bunch of creatures, but you're worried about them drawing a sweeper, right? Mm -hmm. Then maybe you should just name that sweeper because the creatures are beatable because maybe you have mantis riders and their creatures don't fly or something like that you have to kind of make the decision right of whether you want to try to beat the the cards they have or the cards they could have uh right you have to do this kind of um calculation as to if they like are there cards that if they draw you can never beat if they play and then can you beat the cards that are already in their hand? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, right, if they draw, say, their sweeper, maybe it's a bonfire of the dampers, I don't know, whatever it is. Bonfire. <laughs> and maybe you just can never beat that card in a million years if they draw it. But you can't, you're not sure if you can actually beat what's in their hand currently, then you still have to just name what's in their hand and hope they don't draw the, the card that kills you, right? Mm-hmm. It's just very, it's very hard to, to make these decisions, um, and on top of that, there's the, the correct name is changing with the, the time which is being played. So I found when I played the, the human deck that semi frequently, um, you're casting a turn two meddling mage totally blind, and it really requires you to have a, a lot of knowledge about the format you're playing in. So maybe you, if you're on the play, say you just see they have like a fetch land. And just from the information of having a uncracked fetch land, you have to make a guess as to what a, a good name is going to be. Sometimes so, it's as easy as naming like, oh, you have a verdant catacombs. I'm just going to name Fatal Push. But other times, you know, they're playing with, um, with uh, a fetch of only one color in their deck. Let's say kind of like um, how sometimes people play Windswept Teeth over Flooded Strand because it gets a white source, mm -hmm. right? And so you could be thinking, okay, I'm going to be playing against this green-white deck. I'm going to name, you know, some green-white creature or a green creature. When in fact they're not even in those colors and they their first fetch just goes and gets a hollowed fountain and then you're just sitting there with a 2-mana two 2-2 two -two that did nothing. Here's a question. If 
your opponent has a, a fetch that makes that they can fetch a red a red shock, do you just always name lightning bolt? Um, I think blind. That's probably the safest name you can you can make, right? Like scalding kind of. tarn. Scalding tarn is is lightning bolt, right? I mean, isn't is Bloodstainmire also just lightning bolt? I think so. So I mean, uh, what fe- like what red fetch would not mean lightning bolt? What wooded foothills? Even then, I would be inclined to probably because that could be burn. Like Arid Mesa is definitely a lightning bolt deck, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like being able to identify that and weigh and weigh the options. I guess I used to play Arid Mesa in Dredge. <laughs> Trying to but throw that, you, for can, a loop. you can say the same with black, right? So anything with a black, uh, with a black fetch, is just naming Fatal Push. Probably. And if you're if you're playing against a, a Bloodstained Mire, then I, I guess I, your I think odds, the, the red decks are more odds, likely to play Bolt than the black decks are to play Push, probably like by a little bit. Yes. Um, I mean, they could lead on Blue Delta, right? You name Fatal Push, and they just like fetch for steam vents and bolt your meddling mage anyway and you're like oh yeah. okay right yeah and being able to weigh the options this is it's very interesting right yeah but i mean like yeah, you, so you have to like, know everything yeah. you have to know everything about the format right so if they if they're like on affinity right it's gonna be very clear after they've had a turn that they're on affinity <laughs> hopefully <laughs> for them <laughs> lead with island go <laughs> you're not winning that game <laughs> Well, like, if your opponent opens on, like, say, you know, Buried Ruin Chromatic Star, like, oh, okay, I'll name Carclan Ironworks, right? Yeah. But if it's, like, Grove of the Burn Willows into Chromatic Star, okay, I'm going to name, like, Ugin the Spear Dragon, or Oblivion Stone, or Wormquail Engine, liberated. or Karn Liberated, or Turns out there's a lot any of, of these other things a lot of names of that you. deck. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like Mage um, doing Overtime versus Tron. Yeah, and so um, Melee Mage got a lot better, I think, with the inclusion of uh, Phantasmal Image, because they just can have more mages. So uh, against decks like, say, Storm, right? They used to play just the Grape Shot on the main. You play one Melee Mage, the game ends. They can't they can't actually win. So they started playing a, a uh, Empty of the Warrens in the main deck as well. So now you just play a Melee Mage, and then you play a Phantasmal Image, and then the game ends. <laughs> a little bit more work, but now you have more more options. Just a jump to the left. <laughs> I mean, just having eight copies of a card sometimes, uh, and I'm not saying most humans run four of each, but um, having the ability having the ability to have eight copies eight copies of Meddling Mage means that you can turn two name Lightning Bolt, turn three name Grape Shot, and then turn four name Empty the Warrens, and like, and you can take your time doing that. You don't have to you don't have to feel like you're rushed through plays. Um, to get there, it, Storm is gonna opt in. They're they're gonna go in this order. They're gonna go. Okay, my first plan is to kill it. Okay, well that plan is now gone. My next plan is to win. Uh, okay, my normal strategy is gone. Here is my backup win. Winning oh. is my last plan when I play combo decks. Oh great! <laughs> I I'm not gonna win with my with my other strategy. I guess I'm down to like one card in the deck that like that can get rid of Meddling Mage. And so it's, I think Meddling Mage was originally a pretty innocuous looking card, but um, it's it's such a powerful effect that we see the modern decks skewing the cards that are playing because of Meddling Mage. You know, Supreme Verdict is, you know, typically seen as the best Wrath effect in modern, 
but we're seeing decks playing like one Supreme Verdict, one Wrath of God, one even I've seen Day of Judgment being played Settle sometimes. Settle the wreckage. Specifically to play around the meddling mage effects, right? Like one Anger of the Gods, one uh, Sweltering Suns. Yeah. Or you know, one Cool's Electric Turn, one Fire Spout. Um, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of that, that, get, that hedging, right, that occurs. Yeah, I mean, even with like Storm, right? Storm used to only play a Grape Shot as the main deck win condition, and now they just they can't they just can't play just Grape Shot anymore because they would just instantly lose the game to a a meddling mage, just, yeah. just a meddling mage. Yeah, the card the card being uh, popular in the format puts a lot of pressure on on card selection in, in all the other decks, especially the ones that are looking to interact with humans board. So another interesting uh, decision point for naming cards with Melee Mage is um, the type of deck that you're playing against, right? So I think Melee Mage is much easier to play um, when you're playing against these kind of um, more linear, as we call them, uh, combo decks. And generally have the one way to kill you, like say Amulet, right? They have Primeval Titan is the the thing that's going to kill you, so it's a pretty easy name. Against Storm, right? Grape Shot's the thing that's gonna kill you. It's a pretty easy name. Against Ad Nauseum. Ad Nauseum is the, you know, the card that's gonna end up killing you. Um, it's, I, I don't think that those matchups are particularly difficult. I guess the, the closest combo deck that's kind of a hard decision, maybe, is like, say, Scapeshift. You know, uh, do I name their Sweeper or do I name their Payoff, right? Which Payoff? Yeah, so do you name the Primeval Titan or do you name the Scapeshift? Or do you just name Anger of the Gods and try to, you know, kill them fast? Yeah, and the thing is, these these like these names, right, any of those three names could be the correct name. But it all depends on where we are in the game, right? If we don't have any pressure, you know, maybe we're naming a Wincon. But if we have a, 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 a lot of creatures in play, then we should probably be naming the Sweeper, you know. And there's like a turning point that's kind of hard to define, right? If, if a Sweeper's going to two-for-one me, is it worth naming the Sweeper? Probably? Maybe? But three creatures is definitely worth naming the Sweeper. Yeah, you have to kind of weigh the, the odds, right, of your opponent having... Like, if you just lose on the spot to something, you have to weigh the probability of them having that versus them having the, the sweeper, right? Yeah. And another thing is, like, from from my experience of playing the deck, when you name the right card, you win so many of those games. Like, the blind mage names that that hit are almost, they almost feel like you stole them. But then when you miss blind, it's horrible. And so it's it's kind of puts a lot of pressure on you to 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 know the right name. And I think that uh most of the time people will just you you'll you'll be incentivized to name the card that you know about because it's guaranteed value. Like I was playing against Burn once, and I reflector mages. I reflector maged back an Eidolon to his hand, and then the next turn I played a meddling mage, and I was like, ah, uh, which I don't know what to name. 
Searing Blaze is the best card against me, but I know he has Nidalon in his hand. And since we're at this point in the game, if he had a Searing Blaze, he probably would have used it by now. So, eh, I guess I'll just name the Eidolon. And unfortunately for my opponent, he drew two more Eidolons. Yeah. Ouch. Banished to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> but it's like, I guess if... If he hadn't drawn Eidolons and drawn Searing Blazes instead, then would my name have been wrong? Right. That's a, clo that's a close one. That's a really hard, hard uh, question to answer, right? And it's it's really hard because if you're if you're trying to use your experiences to like you know to justify if you made good names or not, yeah, that can, may not always be correct. You can end up in results oriented thinking really quick there. Like maybe maybe you named the correct name and then lost anyways. <laughs> so you think in the future, well, I'm not gonna name that. I'm gonna name this. I'm gonna name the sweeper, not the. Uh, not the win con, right? And it's like, well, yeah, the reality uh, is they have a lot more ways to get the win con than they have ways to find the sweeper out of the board. But on the receiving end of Meddling Mage, when your opponent casts a blind Meddling Mage against you, and they just have the soul read, and just name a card you have one or more copies of in your hand, it's you feel like they're cheating. Right? Yeah, for some, the most part. Some Yu-Gi-Oh shit here. Like, maybe I'm playing Just Guy, right? And I have, like, I. two bolts and, like, a Snapcaster Mage, right? And I'm playing four paths in my deck, too, and Lightning Helixes, and there's, like, a uh, bolt. Like, damn, really? Or maybe it's even the other way around, right? So you think, oh, bolt's, like, the, the common name, right? Well, kaha, joke's on you, I have two Lightning Helixes, and there's, like, uh, Lightning Helix? Like, what? How? Why? <laughs> So I think um, I think an important aspect to getting the the soul read right, those sweet soul read plays, is um, when you're the one playing the mage, and uh, you have you know we, step one has been completed. You have successfully determined what deck your opponent is playing using your keenly honed sense of uh, intuition off of their their mana that they've you know played or maybe their their one drop. Um, but you have to think about why would your opponent keep the hand that they kept? What what cards are cards that would influence a person to keep a hand with that deck, right? Um, so at this point, that's where knowing the format and knowing... I mean, you already know the format because you're casting, you're casting the card and you're, you've already determined what you're, what you're playing against, but knowing how the other decks play is, is, is an important part of... of playing cards like Meddling Mage where where you're like, okay, so my opponent led off with this card, he has these many cards left in hand, so what series of cards will make him keep this hand? Yeah, you have to think about like um if you're not in a matchup where there are specific cards that you are highly incentivized to name, like Storm where you just want to name a grape shot. Um you need to think, okay, well, my opponent is on, um, you know, let's say, I don't want to say Jeskai, because I think you would prioritize naming a removal spell, but, let, you know, let's say your opponent's on, like, some sort of blue deck, um, and you, they, you know, um, they, I would say uh, Serum Visions, but uh, maybe they, let's say they play a tap land on turn one, right? They play a tap land, 
and then turn two. What kind of cards would really incentivize them to keep that hand? Seer Visions is a, a pretty likely card to be in a, an acceptable opening hand, right? Um, and if you're not necessarily afraid of the removal spell out of the hand, then um, naming a card like Seer Visions is not a bad idea a lot of the time because um, the likelihood of it being in their hand is extremely high. And if you're just trying to, to hit a card and turn off a card in their hand, um, going for cards that are extremely likely to be in their hand is a good place to be. Um, but that's when you're not not prioritizing removal spells, right? So generally speaking, if you're playing against a, uh, a blue-white control deck, let's say, Path to Exile is probably the more likely name because the average good blue-white control hand is probably decently likely to have a Path to Exile in it. So that's a pretty good way to lead off on your removal. Or lead off on your uh, meddling mage, I should say. Yeah, I guess I'd say because you're a you're kind of an aggro creature deck, right? Uh, most of the time, your first meddling mage is going to name some removal spell to kind of protect the rest of your your mm -hmm. guys. And your meddling mage, so even if they have multiple um, removal spells in their deck, meddling mage acts kind of like a spell sky in that situation, right? Um, they kind of have to remove the meddling mage first to unlock their other removal spells. Mm -hmm. Because even if they might want like from the the other side of the table, maybe they would rather bolt your Thalia, right? But if the meddling mage is holding back multiple, say, path to exiles in your hand, they kind of have to go after your meddling mage first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually interesting if if you um if you have seen your opponent's hand somehow and you uh, name meddling mage, I think you're actually incentivized to take their second best removal spell if they only have two, right? Yeah, kind of force them into. Um... Like if they, if they, they're better of their two options on their meddling mage. If they were to have like a bolt and a fatal push, I think you're actually supposed to take the uh, the bolt and force them to push the uh, the meddling mage, which is kind of an interesting uh, way of playing, kind of yeah, non-intuitive. Non yeah, because yeah, your creatures your creatures uh, outclass bolt at some point, but they don't outclass fatal push. Mm-hmm. I think this is a kind of a small edge that maybe some people don't really think about. The, oh, they're both removal spells. It doesn't really matter which one I take. They're just going to use the other one to kill my guy. And there may very well be situations where it is very relevant. You know, maybe they have to spend a turn to push your um, your melee mage so you're able to grow your Mantis Rider to a 4-4. Four -four, and mm -hmm. now it's out of bolt range. Mm. Whereas the push would still be able to take down your your flying guy. So playing against meddling mage is always very interesting. Um, I found that more often than not, your if they play a blind two drop meddling mage against affinity at least, they're gonna name a card and you they're gonna look at you, kind of read what your facial expression does, what your body language says, um, and in those situations my personal take on how to proceed is ignore it is pretend like it doesn't even matter even if it does matter even if even if they they just named a card that you have a three of in your hand you just continue as if it doesn't actually matter uh this sometimes leads your opponents to uh to not value their their onboard meddling mage as much. So, it, for example, playing Affinity, 
if they go turn two meddling mage, name and cranial plating, and I have two cranial platings in hand, uh, but I also have an arc burn damager. I shrug, I smile, I laugh it off, I say whatever, sure, whatever, that's fine. And then uh, I play my arc burn damager and I make him big and I make him think that the other two cards are just something else, right? It could be anything from another Ravager, could be another two drop, could be a removal spell, whatever. So you attack, they block, and then now you have those cranial platings open to be able to play. To, you, now you have those cranial platings open and free to play. Um, whereas if you, I feel like if you, they name cranial plating and you slouch over in your chair and you sigh or you roll your eyes, they're gonna know that you have cranial plating in your hand and they're not gonna choose to block their arc brand ravager, you know, unless it's lethal. Don't um, be a leaky boy. Another another important thing to keep in mind when playing against meddling mage is it's sequencing your cards properly. So if they if they're casting meddling mage now you have to uh, make the decision of what's in my hand and are they going to name anything? And if they do, do I lose any value uh, by not playing this card now? So let's take like Lightning Bolt, for example, right? You have a Lightning Bolt in your hand and they're playing a Meddling Mage. So you can either spend that m Lightning Bolt killing another creature they have on the battlefield or throwing it on their face before Meddling Mage resolves. But then that makes it so that your opponent is less likely to name Lightning Bolt once it resolves. Uh, you have to decide, is this a problem? Is him naming Lightning Bolt going to affect my overall game plan? Is it going to, you know, if he's at 6 life and he's playing Medigling Mage, yeah, you probably just throw the Lightning Bolt at his face. Um, you know, if they're 20 life and they're playing Meddling Mage, you probably won't care too much what they name it's probably still pretty early in the game or you're probably losing so i think it's important to remember to sequence things properly and also in game two and three you have to keep in mind he has meddling mage or they excuse me they have meddling mage they can they know what deck you're playing they know some of the cards you've already played and they need to uh, avoid getting hit by some of your payoff cards or some of your setup cards. So maybe it's right to play your setup cards as early as possible to avoid meddling mage naming those cards, but also maybe you need to just play your payoff cards as soon as possible. Like maybe you just need to play a 0-1 Goyf because if not, you just don't have any chance of winning the game. I guess another thing about playing as meddling mage is when you play against humans, you know meddling mage is in their deck. And so I think in sometimes it might incentivize you to play certain spells before other spells in the event that they draw their meddling mage, if that makes any sense. So say you're playing elves, right? And maybe you would normally like to um, wait a turn or two on your elvish archdruid to kind of surprise them with the extra anthem or to you know keep it safe from a potential removal spell. But if you wait that extra turn and they just play Meddling Mage and name the, the Archdruid, it's disastrous, right? You've, you've made potentially more conservative plays 
by not just throwing it out there, making it, having it be vulnerable, and now you've been punished because now you just can't play the card at all. So, it's 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 it is sequencing, but sometimes it's it's even more than just do I cast a spell in response to the meddling mage. It's are there cards I need to play before the meddling mage is in play? Like say in the event of like amulet or whatever, right? Do I need to just play this preemptive explosives on two? Because it's I don't have the option of playing it at instant speed, right? So they just play a mage and they name E and then I'm uh, yep. You know, I wanted to hold it in my hand because I wasn't sure if I wanted it to be on two or three, but now I'm punished for, for waiting. So there's some of some of that that goes on as well. A total counterintuitive to the like standard uh, kind of uh, rule of thumb and magic that you wait as long as possible to cast something, right? Yeah, you try to have as much information as possible before you make any decision on playing a card or uh, you know making a you know pulling the trigger on something. But Bending Mage kind of messes up that um, messes that up sometimes. Yeah, you don't necessarily have that luxury when playing with or against Meddling Mage. Yeah, Meddling Mage also is kind of funny that you maybe you often play it pre-combat to force your opponent into action, doing something. <clears throat> or maybe you want to wait till post-combat so that way maybe they are holding on to removal spell but they won't use it during combat so they'll take more damage that way. It's like if you're trying to bait out the cryptic command, you do it before or after. If you're trying to bait out a removal spell, you do it before or after. A card like Solid Wreckage, obviously, you're going to want to do before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it's like, so going back to um, playing with Meddling Mage, as far as sequencing is concerned, uh, a very common play pattern is uh, playing, putting your Kaisal Freebooter into play, getting to see their hand, taking something, and then playing your Meddling Mage. Um, I think the majority of the time you're just naming something that's already in their hand. Um, and it's it's kind of... The, the name is a little bit more interesting in this scenario as well because you get to take a card with your freebooter. So you, this is a scenario where you might not have to be blocked in or you might not feel as priced into naming a removal spell with your meddling mage. Because if you freeboot them and say they have a single t they have a single removal spell that the freebooter gets to take. Either the freebooter takes it or they shoot the freebooter in response to the trigger. Either way, the freebooter took the removal spell. So now your meddling mage has free reign over the rest of their hands. So maybe you can um, mess up their curve. Yeah. Mm. Although there is the um, the alternate line there where if you're playing against like a, de a deck that let's say maybe only plays two types of removal spell and you've taken one of one of the types, if you name the other type now, they only have three hits left in the deck, right? Yeah. So that's that's also a, a direction you can take that, especially in game ones. Which would you favor, Chris? Would you favor, you think, naming the uh, the second removal spell or, or trying to... I guess it depends on the deck, but... Mm. Yeah, it depends on... Um how aggressive the rest of my draw is. The problem with these Freebooter into Melee Mage draws is while they're um, very annoying for their opponent and in, uh, interactive, they're not particularly fast clocks. And um, so sometimes you, if they don't have removal spell in their hand, you might feel like you're better off just naming one of their blockers. You can get in, you can push some damage with your, you know, two two mage before the rest of your your crew can can file in. 
Because in, in a lot of the times, if you just name, right, if you just name one of their threats, one of their blockers with your meddling mage, whatever removal spell they draw is getting pointed at your mage anyway. Mm. Or their freebooter. So, if their creature is big enough to stop the your board state, it's kind of like, it's almost better than a removal spell sometimes, right? Like if their one creature prevents creatures. all of your creatures from getting in, mm -hmm. whereas their spot remove would only stop one of them. I think it's actually not necessarily correct to, to just name the other removal spell. Because at the end of the day, you're an aggressive Aethervile deck. And when the games go long, and your opponent draws more creatures in removal, and you draw Aethervile's, it's really bad. So you're kind of um, incentivized to try and find ways to end the game sooner rather than later. Yeah, your deck and has... Big one. dumb blockers can be really problematic in that. Yeah, you you don't transition into the into the late game as well as a lot of decks since you have just by nature some some pretty dead draws in your deck, right? The vials and the the noble hierarchs are not exactly the best later in the game. Yeah, I mean hierarchs are you know a lot better than vials, but um, <laughs> yeah. But um, on the on the subject of um, late games, though, the way that you play meddling mage changes later in the game as well, right? Um, as as you move later into the game, you're more concerned about um, shutting off potential top decks from your opponent, right? Or uh, potential ways that they could win a game that they're disfavored in. You kind of want to um, think about what's what's the way I lose this game, right? And um, and employ your mages to prevent that from happening. Um, kind of shutting shutting doors on your opponent and. Um, kind of tying the game up as much as possible that's already in your favor yeah you're oftentimes just trying to name the what would be the the best top deck for your opponent mm -hmm. what what allows them to catch up how do you feel about meddling mage when you're behind late in the game um meddling mage when you're behind is not very good I mean, it's not great until you can find to find the the opportunity to take advantage of it, right? So even if you top deck it in late game and you're behind, you might just hold on to it until you feel like you have you have like a turning point until you feel like you have uh, that that kind of leverage in in the late game. The problem is that you don't really have leverage in the late game playing the human deck. I mean, if you're just hoping to draw your Mantis Rider to get the last points of damage, that plan doesn't change whether you hold the um, the, the mage in your hand or not. Uh, the, the reason why a mage is so awful when you're behind, though, is because if you're just like going to be dead on board and you're chomping with it, it doesn't actually prevent your opponent from casting anything. Yeah. Uh, the majority of, of spells your opponents want to cast, they just cast on their second main phase typically anyway and if you have to if you have to block like it's it's hard you just go to an even lower life total to try and preserve this meddling mage that might be doing something um it's it's really much much worse when you're when you're behind yeah, this kind of touches on what you were talking about before about taking the blocker but um from meddling mage and, and to an extent freebooter although not as much because it flies you really want to in a deck like this uh limit your potential for ending up with creatures in a no tax no block situation right um meddling mage is one of those cards that can against an opposing board very quickly end up in a situation where it doesn't attack and it doesn't block 
And at that point, it's basically an enchantment <laughs> that can get bolted. <laughs> um, and so... Um, it's, a, it's a bad nevermore. Yeah, so choosing cards that allow you to continue to make attacks is really important because if you're not attacking it's very rare that you're meddling mage is blocking and if you're not attacking or blocking you're losing <laughs> probably yeah i'm sure there's also scenarios where you're supposed to just potentially chump attack in with your um meddling mage not chump attack per se like I'm just going to tag my lone meddling mage into your random 3-3. But, um, you know, typically you wouldn't want to attack when you're going to, if you might lose your meddling mage. But uh, eventually there's going to be a turning point where you probably just trying to push as much damage as possible. And even if they unlock that one card, it's too late. Mm -hmm. So this is probably a, a more commonly um, going to be the scenario where you've named a blocker, right? So if you named a blocker early on, and but now you found some reflector mages or mantis riders or something, and now you can just shove with your mage, and to force damage through on other other cards. So maybe you have a bigger creature than meddling mage, which is not that hard to get because it's a two-two. But they're kind of incentivized to want to block the meddling mage to get off the table to unlock their hand, and maybe by taking more damage by blocking the mage, you're actually. Um, going to be able to kill them faster than you may normally normally have otherwise <clears throat> it's some good tempo plays you can get there right so like maybe you have they have a 4-4 four four, and you have a 4-4 four four champion the parish and a melee mage which is holding two tarmogoyfs in their hand and you just shove with both like do they want to trade with your 4-4 four four and leave two dead cards in their hand or just eat your your mage take four damage then they just untap, play their two goyfs, and you laugh at them because you untap and play Mantis Riders and kill them anyway because they took more damage. Yeah. Another um, interesting aspect of, of Meddling Mage and, and choosing what to name is um, choosing between um, what to name in the sideboard games. Um, there's a lot of hidden information that um, comes in, into play in, into the post-board games, um, especially now that, like we said, um, modern decks are now incentivized to vary their answers against meddling mage decks to try to keep themselves from getting you know too many cards trapped down at once um you have to kind of question whether you are interested in naming you know payoff cards be they combo pieces out of a combo deck or you know um important attackers or blockers against a, a more normal you know kind of creature deck or do you try to pick off the really high impact sideboard cards that they're bringing in um and there's a lot that goes into making those decisions right especially when you don't have information about their hand um i think making well-educated guesses about what your opponent might be bringing in against you uh, is very important in those situations as well as kind of keeping a keen eye on how your opponent is is playing right um, you know maybe if they're not snapping off as much targeted removal as you would expect them to uh, and they're kind of soaking up a little bit of damage are they trying to set up for a sweeper um, and they're trying to you know preserve some of their spot removal for picking off your follow-up to the sweeper 
then maybe you need to start thinking really hard about what potential sweepers your opponent could have brought into the matchup and preemptively name one of them to try to shut that angle off. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, Chris, do you favor naming the uh, the best option in that situation? Do you name the Supreme Verdict? Or do you name the uh, something else? <laughs> um, I, I think the only real decision there is do you name like Supreme Verdict or like Settle the Wreckage? Um, because they're they're kind of the same, but they're not exactly the same. Because Settle the Wreckage can be semi-played around. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, it, it, it's a little bit easier to sniff out maybe if they're just passing and holding up a bunch of mana every mm-hmm. turn. So maybe if you have the luxury of, of playing a little bit more slowly, you could name the Supreme Verdict and then only send in, you know, half of your attackers each combat step. Right. I mean, but I guess then sometimes maybe you just can't afford to play around anything and you just name whatever is the most devastating for you. Mm-hmm. If if a deck is playing like one Supreme Verdict, one Wrath of God, one Day of Judgment, then um, the name is kind of just a moot point. At that yeah, right? it, any three of them is the correct name, right? If you have no information, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you're supposed to name the Wrath of God because it's an easier card to cast on their mana. So maybe there's some minor edge you can get by forcing them to spend blue on a Supreme Verdict. I don't know. I, I think in, in most of those scenarios, it's it doesn't really matter which specific card you name. Um, um, <clears throat> I'm personally more in favor of actually naming the uh, the best effect, the Supreme Verdict in this case, in our hypothetical, uh, just in case opponent did not respect us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, think I mean, statistically, on average, they are more likely to have multiples of that card in their deck, right? Yeah. So, I, I, as I was saying, like if if they have one of each, right? There's no way you're gonna know. Yeah. There's no way you're gonna know, right? Um, so then, yeah, you definitely would want to name the the best version of that effect because, say, out of the sideboard, right? Are you gonna expect him to sideboard in Anger of the Gods or Sweltering Suns, like? Who in their in their right mind is sideboarding sweltering suns, right? People if that, if that card's anywhere, list. it's in the main deck. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, people do it. I've seen it. Stephen raises his hand. <laughs> I mean, I think you should be naming Slagstorm before you name sweltering suns out of the board. But or radiant flames. Ah, oh, radiant, radiant flames. flames. That's a spicy one. Yeah, that one gets you good because that one goes up to four off Athalia. Ooh. Oh yeah, gets the big boys too. <laughs> how how irritated would that irritating would that be? You're you're playing you're like aha, I have my Mantis Rider up to a four four. How possibly can I be duped? And it's like Radiant Flames for four. Like what? Wait, how do you Radiant Flames for four? Thalia's tax effect counts towards Converge. What? Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Oh Same thing with gosh. Sunburst in um, <laughs> yeah. Dahlia. Yeah. Oh my god. Comes up once in a blue moon. <laughs> kind of a little bit off topic, but it's really funny how a lot of people kind of have to have to like think about it or look twice whenever you um, cast an injury explosives for mana but no colors. <laughs> yeah. You're like they put Thalia. Haha! There's no way that you can make an EE four zero now. By thank you, my ghost quarter play a 
engineering explosives? Like, mm. <laughs> what? Like, oh, it has one, right? Like, nah. no. Nah, X is one. Man. That is not how Sunburst works, my friend. Yeah, so it's like you, you cast your, your EE, X, X is one. Like, oh yeah, so it gets a counter. Haha, you can't kill my, like, golem tokens or whatever because they're playing, you know, blade splicers or whatever in their D&T deck. And you're like, but it doesn't have any colors, so I'm just gonna just gonna kill your golem tokens now. Like, wait, 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 what, 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 what? Anyways, sorry, off topic. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like we didn't really give it a lot of advice on how to or what to name or how to name. It's hard. All we kind of said was it's, it's really hard. Well, sometimes it's, it's, you do this, sometimes you do that, but it's hard to know. A lot of the time, the correct name isn't clear. Um. Right, because if you said, like, after the fact, if they had it in their hand or they didn't, was it the right name? It's it's really hard to even know if the card that you named was the correct name. So so while we, we didn't really give specifics on what you should play, how you should play this, but um, we're hoping that this kind of breakdown of, of Meddling Mage, and maybe you can even apply this to other cards that name different things kind of like a uh, pithing needle kind of like pithing needle or rune halo or nevermore um maybe you can kind of also apply these kind of this kind of mentality towards those other cards um but essentially what it boils down to is it, it's there's never going to be like the right like there's obviously the right choice, right? The hindsight 2020 is 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 a thing, but in the moment, there's never going to be a a card that is absolutely correct unless you have 100% of the information. Yeah, we are playing a, a magic is a game of imperfect information, and um, meddling mage is a a perfect summation of, of of that, like a microcosm of magic as a game, right? Um, <clears throat> magic in general benefits you from or uh, benefits you when you. Uh, you make educated guesses and assumptions about but your deck, your opponent's deck, and, and how the game will play out. And Meddling Mage is, is the same, right? Um, you will be rewarded for accurately um, imagining how the game is going to work out and then making decisions accordingly. But I guess like the one, one thing that all these name-a-card cards have in common is the... They really require a lot of just general um, knowledge of cards in the format. If you're very new to modern, playing meddling mage is a nightmare for you, because you don't even know what cards are in people's decks. So you just really have to have a very kind of um, maybe not I don't know if deep's the right word, but you have to have a very good idea of all of the cards that are played in all of the popular decks. You just have to have all of this massive knowledge in your head to really get the most out of these cards. And you also just have to pay attention. I mean, if you know, if if uh, if you're playing against somebody game two and three, like you should pretty much know what they're playing and should pretty much know what cards are good and what cards are bad to name a meddling mage. So as long as you're paying attention, it's going to be kind of hard to to really mess up a meddling mage after sideboarding. And I think that brings us to our closing segment, which is Slot of the Week, where we tell you what card we are totally hyped to play in our 75. John, how about you at least start us off? Well, since we've been talking about choosing cards, I'll, uh, 
all episode, I uh, I thought very carefully and chose my card for this week. Uh, my card is Faithless Looting, a card that also makes you choose cards, but in this case, just from your hand. So um, I've been thinking a lot about the upcoming Modern PPTQ season and uh, moving towards working on getting some reps in with what deck I want to grind with this summer. And I think that the clear front runner for me at this moment in time is Marty Pyromancer. And so I'm going to be uh, dedicating the majority of my magical-related efforts into getting practice of that deck moving forward. And Faithless Looting is the linchpin of that deck. So I expect Faithless Looting to be my uh, true salt of the week for many weeks moving forward from now. But uh, I will titillate you, the listener, with some, some alternative options to keep things interesting. How about you, Chris? Um, my thought of the week is actually going to be a new card from uh, Dominaria. And uh, I think a lot of people probably didn't really look at this card or care much about this card. But it's, I believe it's called Zalfrin Void? Zalfrin Void? It's a land. It produces a single colorless mana. And when it comes into play, you could describe one. It's strictly so we, better than a wastes. We have, um, <laughs> we may have. Oh, there's many lands that are strictly better than a wastes. <laughs> I.e., basic island, um, ghost quarter, perhaps field of rune. Anyway, um, Zalfrin Void, Void. It's like all those scry temples, but it doesn't come into play tapped. And so it's going to be in the Eldrazi Stompy deck. And um, I'm forgetting his name at the moment. But uh, the guy who's really been... Um, Jordan Budsievert. Budsievert? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's really been the kind of driving force behind the, the deck and got it into the limelight. Um, he uh, recently wrote an article about this card in the deck as well. And he thinks it's going to be... It's very strong. Um, <clears throat> uh, I want to play with the card. I think it's also going to be very good. Um, Recent 5-0 results would suggest so. <laughs> but uh, I think the, the question is, how many exactly do you want? Um, do you want the full 4, or can you get away with 3? So this card uh, seems very interesting. Um, the fact that it doesn't come into play tapped is like really advantageous for decks that don't care about color. I'm sure you can you can you and the listeners can, can guess where I'm, I'm going with this. Uh, John is is rolling his eyes at me currently. Um, so so playing this in Affinity w- over over a certain number of something, I'm not sure. It'd be it'd be like Blinkmoth Nexus. Um, seems like it could be advantageous, but also just playing like a strict colorless Affinity deck seems to be more and more possible now where you just play no rainbow lands and you just play utility color lands um so i'm getting really funny looks from my co-host right now bold uh, move cotton <laughs> uh, it, it pays off for him it's very interesting and i'd be uh i'd be i'm very tempted to to try out some decks with with uh try out some uh, different affinity lists with this card oh i could have access to all the best sideboard cards in every color or i, I could have access scrap, to none of them i, I mean one. you're still you're still playing mox opal and springleaf drum 
That's uh, like saying I should play Reality Smash or an amulet because I have lots of lands that produce colorless mana. Oh, that sounds way better than Jace. And I can find I them off of Ancient Stirrings. Do you know what's better than that, Thought Not Seer? Man, TKS. Or Karn. Shoving TKS in the decks that don't normally play TKS is pretty sweet. Yeah. I want to play that green-black rock deck that splashes for colorless again. Yes. Tarkophis. Just bring them in, in from the board, right? Like, oh man, all these bolts don't do anything. We're going to get those out of here. I guess TKS is, Bull doesn't do anything against TKS either. <laughs> Bad example. <laughs> Another one. Anyways. Abrupt. Uh, abrupt. No, yeah. Nope, that doesn't nope, work either. Uh, <laughs> Turns out, Thought Seer is a very good card. Doesn't uh, afraid of removal or anything. On the uh, slot of the week topic, my slot of the week is going to be Grim Flare. Um, I have this Jund list of Bruin. After I saw Reduke's Fast Jund, I thought about ways to make it even faster and uh, and have a little bit more card advantage. Add some, uh, some Tribal Flames and some Lingering Souls. So so I kind of just want to keep it to Jund colors. Uh, I understand that adding like Lingering Souls to the deck might make it infinitely better. But I kind of want to see what I can get away with just playing Jun Colors. Um, it's not getting cards, away with anything at all. Cards like... <laughs> you're ridiculous. <laughs> cards like uh, Faithless Looting are kind of on my watch list. Liliana the Veil is kind of falling out of favor, I feel like. Um, so I feel like I'm probably just going to cut most of them. I don't even know if I'm going to run one at this Sideboard. point. Sideboard. Yeah. Uh, Last Hope is also looking... Not great, but it is a little bit better than Last Hope right now. It kills a lot of the like low, low, low creatures, and it protects itself. It also brings creatures back from the graveyard, and the ultimate is just insane. Anyways, that about wraps us up. Thank you for checking us out and sticking around to the very end. If you're wondering where you can find more content, you can head over to mtgcomplex.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, under the same name, MTG Complex, one word. And if, and if you have any suggestions or comments that you'd like us to read, please feel free to shoot us a message on one of those platforms. Again, we really do appreciate you sticking on to the very end, and we hope you'll join us in the next one. Later. Bye.